McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at Mac, as we learn the moments that their path from Mac became unconventional. In today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Namneet Randawa, a 2013 Communication Studies graduate who also received a marketing diploma in 2014 from the McMaster Center for Continuing Education. Namneet turned a passion and a hobby into a full-time career that utilizes the learnings of her undergraduate studies. She's currently a marketing director at OS Studios, which is a digital agency specializing in gaming, metaverse, and Twitch. Join us as she speaks about her passion for video games and her thoughts on inclusivity in the gaming industry through her career and how it is involved. So why don't we chat about um, your decision to study what you did at McMaster? What makes you want to actually take the course and actually choose McMaster to do your undergraduate degree? So when um, I was in high school, my parents wanted me to be a doctor and it was in my last term of high school that I was like, I actually don't want to be a doctor. I can't even stand needles. And also why is someone else dictating what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And like, you know, you're young and you kind of follow along with the um, influence and the opinions of the adults around you. But I don't know, there was just that awakening where I was like, I don't want to do this. And so very quickly, I dropped my two math courses I was supposed to take, and then I needed to fill those with other courses. So what I took was the anthro sociology psych course, in addition to um, grade 12 law, and I had done grade 11 law previously. So filled my courses up, we're doing good. And that's really the first time I guess I had that touch point with sociology. And so then applying for undergrad programs, I actually didn't even know communication studies, which is actually what I ended up majoring in at the time. But um, this is like, oh, well, you know what? First year is kind of open, take a bit of everything. And one of my cousins had actually done communication studies as an elective and was like, you should take this at Mac. Oh, and then like, yeah, I had applied to Mac and Ryerson and um, a few other schools where those applications no longer applied because I wasn't applying to go into life sciences anymore. But yeah, so um, Mac was a school that gave me an entrance scholarship along with um like the program I wanted to to be in. So I did actually start in social sciences. Um, and so then I took that comms course and I was like, oh my gosh, I really love this. So when the time came to deciding what like streamline you wanted to do, I actually ended up doing comms and social um, as like a double major. And then as the comms program continued to grow over the years of me being a comms student, where we had the, one of the business profs join us, Dr. Flynn, um, and more courses were being created. I was like, I don't have the time to do a double major. So I dropped so to a minor and then comms just became like my major major. Isn't that, I mean, that's, I think one of the greatest things about university is that you go in and it's like, sometimes you think you're going to be on this path and then you discover all of these courses and different things that opens your mind. So if you were to give yourself, um, your first yourself some advice, what do you think you'd give? I think it'd be more of like a, just be open with everything. And, um, you know, it's like my, my parents are very traditional. So to them, they didn't even know what this field was. So I, it felt like for the longest time they wrote it off. And at a point in my mind, I kind of was like writing it off myself. And I'm like, maybe I'm making a mistake. Maybe I should go do life sciences. I don't know. 
But I was like, you know what, there's something here. And the profs here are very excited and eager to share about what it is that they do for a living. So there's got to be something here. I just need to keep uncovering more and more and more of it. And going to like those um, office hours or talking to those TAs really helped with that. So anytime someone came in as a first year or a cousin was, you know, thinking of schooling, I'm like, make sure you go to those office hours and you meet those TAs because they tell you so much more that you don't know. They're that much older than you. They've already done what you've done and they're on a different path or they're on a path that maybe you might consider. So it, it really helps talking to people. And like now, you know, networking is such a huge thing. But at that time, I feel like um, it was different, right? Like now you can like cold email someone on LinkedIn and people expect this because it's what we do nowadays. But back in, in that time, it was like, you didn't think about doing that. And there's even that 10,000 coffees um, whole program that exists, which is about that informational interview. So yeah, I'd say talking to, to people and talking to people in the fields that you're interested in, and even maybe the fields you're not interested in because it helps fortify. Yeah, I actually didn't want to be in there. That is very good advice. So you've been able to um, take a passion and hobby that you have and turn it into a career. So uh, first of all, it's a world, it's gaming and esports, which I I will admit I know little to any nothing about. Um, my nephew is a computer science grad and he's a programmer and he's a gamer, but it's over my mind. So talk to me about your role, the, the company you work on, what you do and, and how, how you got there and how you took your passion. And now you get paid to do this. Awesome. So I'll actually start like a bit back in the beginning of it. Um, so I have an older brother. I am automatically player two when it comes to every video game. We have a younger sister. She eventually became player three, but he is the one that had created this passion for gaming within our household. And it was the one thing that you know, maybe he might be interested in karate and I'm figure skating, but at the end of the day, we're coming together through gaming. Gaming was our social touch point growing up, uh, no matter what we might be doing and how different we might be, you know, growing. So it was always like a, a pipe dream to work for um, a developer that um, in present day, I'm like, I actually don't want to work for them. But that was just always a thought I had. And, and I didn't even know the whole thing about like getting a visa, working in America and da, 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 da. And that how this industry would change actually from the time where I had thought of that. But that was always like a tucked away sort of dream where I'm like, that's not realistic because I'm supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so then um, I was in my fourth year of undergrad and I actually had asked both my profs um, for my fourth year programs, uh, courses, if I could write about gaming and esports. And both of them were like, we have no idea what this is, but we like the initiative. So we're going to let you do it. If it doesn't work out, we'll give you an extension of like a, a week to work on a topic we give you. But I liked that they were very encouraging of like, try this. We don't know it. You could be lying about this for all we know, but like, we're excited. Both those profs loved it. And actually one of them was a session of prof that was like, come and do a master's um, at a different school in this. And I was like, no, I actually, if I do that, I'm going to miss out on the opportunity that is what this emerging field is because um, it already existed in like the 90s in Korea, which is where um, this is like seen as entertainment. And it was still kind of foreign to the West. It was pretty much like an, an okay adopted space in Europe, but it was still growing basically. And I was, I felt like I was kind of at the ground floor of it for North America. And so I just kind of started writing articles. I saw this um, team Acer was looking for writers and I was like, hey, um, I love StarCraft. I watch it. Uh, I'll, I'll apply to be a writer and I ended up getting the role. 
Uh, this is a time where you didn't get paid anything or you got paid peanuts to do this, but um, passion can only drive so much before it becomes like a daunting thing where you're like, this is not uh, viable. But I had a full-time job, nine to five. And then in the evenings around the weekends is when I would work on this. And then I slowly started seeing how even like between the times of 2012, 2013, 2014, there was three huge StarCraft events in a row. One of them was at Fan Expo. And yeah, it was just like, I had gone to that one event in 2013. And I was like, I really want to do this. And then the Easter thing happened in 2014. And our kind of storyline is all, ooh. And uh, then the score actually launched their esports arm in um, March, 2015. And I had applied and very fortunately got sorted through all these people that also had applied. Um, so that was where I was for four and a half years. And I was there from when it was an editorial focused team and an app to what it is now in present day, which is a YouTube and video presence. So I was there throughout all the evolutions of what the SCORE's esports offering was and how it has kind of stabilized in present day as well. And then I worked for um, an esports team. So kind of like saying I went to work for the Raptors, but like the esports version of that. Um, and then I worked for um, another one like that. And now I'm actually at an agency where I am the marketing director. And this is a gaming and esports focused agency. So while esports focuses on the competitive side of gaming, um, the gaming part lets us work with influencers and brands that might want to get into the space. So there's a lot of variety working here. So in the larger game of bubble, like the larger bubble that is gaming, um, esports is like a little speck. So now I'm playing in like the bigger bubble of it, uh, being at this agency. And I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's just, it's a world that most people don't think about when they think about a career, but in particular, probably like, you know, as a woman. So have you, you know, what are the challenges have you been as a, as a young woman in, in that type of industry? Um, I think part of it is just even being taken seriously sometimes where you have those people that unfortunately still say like, girls can't game, girls can't play this, they can't do that. And uh, there was actually a time where I was helping host some of the videos for the score and the comments on there were like, this girl probably doesn't play games. And I'm like, if you just clicked my Twitter, you would see, or if you just clicked my LinkedIn, you'd actually see like, I'm not just here for a moment. I've actually been in this company for four years before I had done that kind of thing. Right. But it's just like, people are just on the internet can be very rude and just ready to attack you and just to attack you for being a woman because those comments are pointed at lol girl lol woman or whatever it is that they might be saying so you know it took some time to really form this kind of hardened version of myself I'm still pretty you know soft as well but that hard exterior of the I don't deal with people's um bs that kind of comes my way um but at the same time I'm seeing like younger women getting into this space so sometimes I have helped mentor them whether it's through a situation or um, spoken on a panel where they're like, I didn't think of it that way, or like, I didn't know I could protect myself in that way. So if, if I see someone bothering a woman at an event, I actually intervene now, um, before I probably wouldn't. And I'd be like, uh, but now I'm like, no, this isn't cool. <laughs> you shouldn't speak to her like that. And, uh, it takes it, you know, it's like, it's unfortunate that in the 10 years of being in this space, I feel like we're only really starting to see change now. Um, and it's just like, 
you know, the world is becoming a more entertainment focused sort of consumption thing. Like everyone can be an influencer in this day and age. Everyone can be a model. Whereas before you had to be five foot nine and whatever requirements it was. Um, so it's just like with everyone being able to do these things, it's also helping with the, the conversations of anyone can do anything. And in also having people standing up for one another and like women helping women, um, cheering each other on because there's enough space for everyone in this space. And in fact, there's not enough women here. So it's like, everyone, please come, keep coming this way. There's so much room for everyone. Excellent. So describe for me a typical day at the agency and you're, um, you're in Canada, but you're working for a New York agency. So describe for me, like, what's a typical day? So very fortunately, we're on East Coast time. Um, I've had roles where I was on the, on the West Coast time. So I had a whole free morning on the Eastern side. But um, so each day is very different. So there might be um, some internal marketing that might need to be done for our personal branding to get our message out to the world to let them know what it is that we do. Sometimes events are white labeled, so it's a bit harder to talk about what it is you're doing. But um, whether it's through word of mouth with another brand that you worked with that recommends you for another one um, that day you might have to create pitches for them you might have to be in deck week building sort of thing and then the next week it might be completely different where it's just client work and now you're creating a marketing strategy because they have an event that's coming up or um, another type like marketing is just so broad right so you might have a day where it's social media marketing and you're working on a social media focused content strategy for the launch of a product or it might just even be that brand's day-to-day good morning fans um good afternoon fans what are you guys gaming um or what are you playing tonight right so things like that so each day can be a bit different and i i really like that and i i've all my roles have been like that where no two days are alike. And I really like that because it makes it more entertaining and more fun. So um, many of us went fully remote when the pandemic started uh, two and a half years ago. And now many of us are in the hybrid working world. Now you're working remotely from your um, home agency. So do you have any tips or anything you'd offer for people what you've learned, like how you've been successful working in Uh, a remote environment and things you'd pass along to folks to think about? Yeah. So I feel like the people that strived very early on in the pandemic were those that were gamers because they already had a gamer setup, a desk, double monitors, the keyboard, the whole shebang. Um, And then you saw those funny photos on social media where people were like, this is my desk office for the day. It's like a stack of textbooks and a laptop on top of it. So I think like the whole whether you have a home office space or an area that is like a desk, you know, you might be like, oh, I was a student and I had a desk then. No, keep a desk your whole life. It's so important because it helps you kind of break away or compartmentalize that whole, like, this is the desk or this is the office working sort of space. And with me doing freelance stuff in gaming before I even kind of dove into it headfirst with my role at the score, um, I always had that desk set up and it always helped me focus on the whole working from home kind of thing because Team Acer was based out of Germany. So I was not going into their facility. I was doing it from home. And I feel like that has helped me even on those days where it might've been a snow day and being able to work from home. And it just, it just felt so natural going into the pandemic and just doing work from home. (laughs) So yeah, really it's just having that spot and, if possible, 
Don't put that desk in your bedroom. Keep that separation of work and sleep because otherwise the lines get blurred and it's it can be you working at your desk for a 12-hour day and not realizing it. Yeah, that's a very good tip. Um, do you think people appreciate the industry that you work in or understand it? So I feel like the people that might have been making fun of gaming as a career or gaming for a living, um, basically, if you weren't a developer making a game or working on those teams to um, like launch a product, uh, that was the traditional sort of gaming role that people were like, okay with. But then that then you being an influencer who's playing games and people are watching you game or doing it competitively on a team, there's people that had adversities towards those who had those kind of careers. And I feel like all of that changed. I don't like you can say overnight, but I like I want I want to say it's overnight. It was a huge moment. It was when Drake played with Ninja and they played Fortnite together. And this could have been anyone's moment, any influencer's moment, streamers, average Joe's moment. And it happened to be Ninja. And I feel like that was the wake up moment for everyone to be like, oh my God, that could have been me. Wow. I've been so salty about this and making fun of it that I didn't realize that literally could have been me playing with Drake and having this explosive career. Ninja's career has been growing so much where his products, you can buy them at Walmart now. And you haven't really seen that much with a lot of gamers uh, with their own personal brands. You see that with the toys that come from games and those IPs, but this was very unique. It was a person. So I feel like in most recent years, it's been more respected, but there was a large moment in time of ha ha. But um, yeah, it's like, you just have to really be like, I don't care about the opinions of other people and I'm going to keep doing this. And at least I'm enjoying my my job playing games all day and I'm making more as my own individual entrepreneur because you can say this is entrepreneurship um, than working for someone else. So do you ever um, have any challenges about, you know, that you have a passion for this and that was your hobby and now it's, you know, you're you're working in that world of, do you need to like, okay, I can't game anymore personally. I need to have separation. Uh, you know, ha- have you changed yourself as a gamer? It's so funny because this is the thing that everyone always says in the space is ever since I started working in gaming, I don't have time to game. And uh, it's it's true. It's it's It totally changes the way that you um, kind of have your life because if you're not working, you might be watching someone gaming. So the time you probably would have spent watching TV, you might be spending it on Twitch now or that time you might have spent gaming, you're watching someone else play games um, on Twitch. And for me, it's like, I might have a day that is a 12 hour workday because that's how agency work is. Sometimes I might have days where it's your regular nine to five sort of hours. And it just really depends on how I'm feeling that day. um, If I'm going to make time for a game. And also to be frank, there haven't been any releases in recent years that make me go, wow. Like I want to say 2015 was the year of games with like the Witcher three um fallout 4 was really good and then it's like the latest fallout sucked there hasn't been a new witcher since um cyberpunk was supposed to be great it flopped so um there's there just hasn't been a really good game in quite some time that's gotten me excited but actually i lie stray just came out uh last week which is a game you play as a cat and you're trying to find your way home and i actually did buy it so now that I bought it, I have to play it. But that's also another funny like joke with people is how many games do you buy and not play? And they sit and rot in your Steam library. But I'm like, no, no, I'm going to make time. I will play this. 
<laughs> so, I mean, it, it's esports is now like if you had said to someone, you know, let's say someone walking down the street, just pulling them off and saying, like, what's an esport tournament? Most people would not be able to answer that. So, where do you think it, this industry is going to be in the next five years? I think it's going to continue growing as an entertainment platform. And you've seen it with those StarCraft tournaments in um, like the early 2012, 2013, 2014 times where those tournaments came. But when the League of Legends Championship Series came in 2016, that was sold out at the ACC over, I believe it was a three-day period. And that really caught the attention of people that Toronto, for example, is actually a gaming and entertainment hub. People used to drive up for like those StarCraft tournaments. And that audience has kind of grown and the developer stopped supporting that game. Uh, but with League of Legends, the audience is now and people will drive up, up for this. So as long as um, good games keep coming out that have a competitive component that fans, you know, gather around and doesn't feel forced, then you'll always have some sort of a game that has this entertainment element. So people are going to have to decide at some point where they're like, do I want to spend money on going to a Leafs game or do I want to go see a live esports tournament? And you, you're already seeing that for people who live in LA where that is a huge hub for gaming. Do you want to go see a basketball game or do you want to go to the League of Legends studio, right? Um, so it kind of helps in different ways of tourism, entertainment and seeing the world. Has the pandemic impacted it very much or is it... Uh... Like, what, did you see a lot, a, a big impact from COVID um, on, on the industry? Sort of. Um, so like there was positive impact and there was like, there was also negative impact too, because there was um, like a segment of it that depended on live events. And with those being gone, um, someone whose job might be to set up a stage lost their job or lost that opportunity those companies that provided that kind of um, support also didn't have those roles. But a lot of um, other situations, if your event was supposed to be in person, we were actually able in this gaming space to switch it to an online event within hours, if needed, days, really. Um, so I feel like the gaming space was a great hub for it. And I actually saw this moment where um, Mitch Marner, was playing with um, one of the Call of Duty teams in Toronto, Toronto Ultra. And he was playing with one of the players because the NHL was not happening at the time. So he started gaming with this guy and he ended up becoming a part investor in the company. So it's just like these um, people that have such huge star power where their lives were put on hold and they're like, what do I do? And it's like, well, I like playing Call of Duty and I'm going to play with this guy and they're friends and he's a part investor, right? So um, it was very interesting how these things sort of happened. And then a lot of brands had actually come to um, the company I work for at the start of the pandemic. And they were like, we still want to do our events, but we want to do them online. Can you help us? So with our studio in-house or being able to create from literally your own home, we're able to do that and power it. So I want to say that the gaming space became like such a hub for all of this and uh, on Twitch, there's a category, it's just a catch-all called just chatting. That has been an explosive category because people are like, well, I'm going to stream, um, you're, you've, like, there's a category for art, there's a category for cooking. But if there was something that didn't have a category, you'd be like, all right, it's a just chatting stream. Or if you want to just talk to your camera, or if you want to do a podcast. So there's all these platforms that 
you set up a camera, you set up a mic and you're good to go within minutes. So it's very, very open, very much. So it's just, you got to jump in and do it. So that, you know, no one expected the pandemic when it happened, um, really. And it's been uh, two years and a bit. What do you think you've learned about yourself through the pandemic? I've learned that I'm really resilient. So um, unfortunately, with the pandemic, I was one of those people that was laid off because my role was events. And um, so at that point in time, previously, I had jumped from a job for a better opportunity. And I had been laid off. And I was like, if these like, you know, things didn't destroy me, most people might not even change jobs in their whole life. And most people might not be laid off in their whole life. But once you've had both those things, like kind of one happen to you with without, you know, you knowing it was going to happen. And the other one, a decision you made, I feel like it kind of makes you unstoppable. So what's holding me back from chasing my next great opportunity. And during the pandemic, I went from another opportunity to another opportunity. So um, in learning that I can be very resilient, um, I feel like that wouldn't have happened if the pandemic didn't happen. And I wouldn't have unlocked this um, side of myself if that didn't happen again. So as we get um, to the close to the end of the uh, the podcast. I'm going to do a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Okay. All right. What's your favorite memory of McMaster? Oh my gosh. I'm like, there's so many. <laughs> we come back to that one at the end and I'll, I'll settle on one hopefully by then. All right. All right. We'll do that. Um, best COVID purchase. My cricket machine. And what's a cricket machine? Oh, it's a, um, it's a cutting machine. I had like the old 20, 12 version of it and it was so clunky and now having the new one it just makes everything so amazing so I've already made like ribbons for cousin weddings I've made like t-shirt transfers I've done uh labels for friends and my brother's like why don't you make an Etsy store already I'm like when I have a moment when I have a moment after I, I finish ha having time for gaming <laughs> exactly that's your next career your next side yeah. side gig <laughs> um you're very busy, but do you do you have a, a book you're reading right now that you'd recommend or a podcast you'd recommend? Yes, I'm reading Jennifer Shahadi's Chess Queens. And um, I, I've been loving this book. Um, I unfortunately haven't had time to pick it up again from my big read day that I had. But Jennifer Shahadi is a um, North American chess champion that has won big tournaments globally. And um, I actually knew her through the poker world. And so I'm like, oh my God, she's literally a genius because she's a chess champion and she's like crazy good at poker and um the introduction of what I'm reading right now and it's like these things all have overlap with what I'm experiencing in gaming and esports so um chess used to be at one point called the version of chess we play presently was called the mad queen's chess or the mad woman's chess and then they dropped it and just made it chess and I was like I never knew that but it made chess way more exciting because before that those games would last six hours and they were boring so it's very interesting. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. What's your idea of perfect happiness? I think being content, um, whether that's like, it's so broad to say, but it's like, you know, we're so nitpicky about our, our image and our appearance of how we look. We're always thinking about the future. And I actually, one of my friends told me the funniest thing was, do you know why um, as, as like when we were cave people, we didn't have anxiety that we do now because cave people were like living in the present they were only worried about their next meal but now because we have the technology the health and everything we're always thinking about our future what what we're going to do five years from now what we're going to do this and we get so caught up in that we forget to live in the moment 
So I think being content with like, or learning to be content with living in the moment, being in the moment, the future is going to happen. And sometimes you can't change that. You can't affect that. But just being content with what you have and where you're going and maybe what you're going to have for dinner, um, I think is how I'm, I'm starting to live my life a bit more. Um, this one might be difficult for you as well. One song that best represents your time at McMaster. Oh my gosh. I feel like <laughs> LMFAO was um, the band of the time when I was there. And uh, Party Rock was like one of the Welcome Week songs. Uh, yep. <laughs> so it was very excitable. Um, you know, Humanities is such a colorful, fun, vibrant sort of um, department. So you know what? education can be a party and this song is really telling you it's a party <laughs> good choice I remember that and in fact I actually remember when there's um there was like a video being done on campus and Patrick Dean who was the president at the time it was included to that and party rock was the soundtrack for that so there you go there you go yeah <laughs> so any thought, story yeah. checks out <laughs> Nick, story does check out story does check out um have you thought about your favorite memory um you know what I feel like it was the the fact that I actually got to go to school with my brother my cousins um and I had actually gone to high school with all of them as well but having that familial relationship um and then like you know all of us can talk about our time at McMaster or like did you know JEG changed we're like what they did and my sister's like yeah they added a whole back section so the fact that I have such a deep-rooted family connection with my family um, with the friends that I made at Mac and just, you know, bleeding maroon day in, day out. Um, it really, it's a family place for me and the, the professors I've met and I keep in contact with, it, it just feels like a home. Did you have a favorite place you like to hang out on campus? Yeah. When they redid the, I believe it's the fourth floor of the Lions New Media Center mm -hmm. at Mills. Yeah. Um, that was our go-to spot. Uh, and by, us, I mean, like me and my uh, peers that I went to school with. Um, it was new. It smelled great. Um, there was always space and not many people knew about it at the time. So, or they assumed like it was one of those, oh, you have to be in media and comms to go into there. I'm like, I'm not going to correct you or tell you otherwise, because like the engineer kids have like their own loft, right? With yeah. their passcodes. I was like, yeah, if I can keep something private, I will. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Okay. <laughs> so you're stuck on a desert island. What's the one game you're taking with you to play? Um, Animal Crossing. And it's why? uh, you can well the most latest version that came out. You actually hilariously are on an island. You can modify oh. the island however you want it to look. Um, and Animal Crossing is a game I actually it, it launched literally March twentieth, and like the pandemic I'd say was officially started March twentieth, and um, or maybe it was the twenty first. I can't recall, but that game got everyone through the pandemic, the first year of it, at least. And it created all these new friendships um, that, you know, being a gamer, all my friends are online anyways. And I just got to meet so many more people with this. And uh, I still played it after everyone kind of like stopped playing it. And um, it's a game that then I found out my 10 year old cousin was playing and I was like, great. You know, so it's, it's a way that I was like, I was connecting with people in my industry, my age, and I'm still able to play this game and connect with someone who is two decades younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you talked about, you know, um, you know, living in the moment, right? Like living in the moment now and not, and not 
thinking too far ahead in the future. But if I was to ask you a question, where do you think you will be in about five years? What, what, what do you think your answer would be? Oh, it's going to be so generic, you know, happy, um, married, living somewhere in a house uh, with my dogs, my partner, um, with kids, and hopefully more senior in my career. Um, marketing is such a, um, I guess, malleable kind of field where you, mar everyone needs marketing, whether you're marketing steel, you're marketing video games, um, juice, or whatever it might be. It's just, it's endless. And so I hope to be more senior within marketing, but which stream or which field, who knows? Who knows if uh, gaming will still be my thing? And I'll be like, I've been 20 years in gaming at the time. Or um, it'll be like, oh, it's my fifth year selling juice, right? <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what, what the future really holds. Yeah, we'll check back in and see and see what you see what you're marketing then at that time. Will it be another the latest game or will it be juice? <laughs> we'll do that. Well, this has been a great conversation um, with you today and, and such an interesting career path since your uh, time at McMaster. So I want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast Unconventional. Thank you for having me. Since this episode was recorded, some things have changed and I wanted to give you all an update. I have joined Golden State Warriors as their Marketing Director of Esports for Golden Guardians and Warriors Gaming Squad. As much as I bleed maroon for MAC, I now also am gold-blooded. <laughs>